So basically, uh, the way it works for my practice, I mean, it's it's pretty simple process. You know, people reach out, they send me an email either, you know, through my website. Um, some of them will reach out to me through Facebook. They will just send me a little message. And then what I do is I ask them for their email address so that I can send them some information. And uh, the information email will contain a little video of how I work and why I do what I do, just so that we can be kind of on the same page as far as, um, you know, the intentions and the process of, of healing and restoring health. Um, and then there's also a questionnaire that I attach so that people can give me some information on their animals so that I know a bit what's going on, what their concerns are, what has been done, you know, that sort of thing. And then I also have them uh, email or ask their vets to send me medical records so that I know what's been done. Because, you know, oftentimes we kind of forget a little bit of you know, what has happened, you know, oftentimes I say, oh yeah, back then two years ago, he had this and that, and they're like, oh, I totally forgot about that. Um, so that helps me a lot too. Um, so with all, when I have all these three things together, uh, well, once they watch the video and send me the questionnaire and, and the medical records, I prepare for the consultation so that I have a good, you know, idea of what's going on. And then we schedule a time uh, to meet, and I usually do it by Zoom, but, you know, there's also Skype, I can also do it on the phone, um, so there are different options to do that, and then I just chat with people as if they were in the room with me with the animal, um, and I listen to their concerns, and I um, help them come up with a bit of a plan of action, uh, because oftentimes uh, people tend to be a bit lost as far as what the next steps are and, and what to look for. And, and I help them kind of narrow down what the underlying um, issue could be that is causing the, the problems. Um, so that's a little bit how it works with the consultations. And then I, I do make some recommendations. Of course, I'm limited um, because I can't really see the animal and you know, I don't have all the information that I would get if I see the animal, but I can certainly make a lot of recommendations as far as next steps, you know, what kinds of testing to do, for example, what to look for, uh, you know, how to, how to support them. Um, yeah, so that's, that's a little bit how, how that works. And then usually I also send them a little follow-up um, email with, with a bit of a summary of what we talked about and I can also direct them into different, uh, you know, areas of things to read and, and explore and, and that sort of thing. So that's usually how it works um, with the consultations that I do. So it's pretty straightforward. It's not, you know, it's, it's really not all that much different than scheduling a, an appointment in person. Um, so, okay. yeah. Awesome. Does that yeah that, yes i think i think just being able to share this little bit can help to start the conversation as well for people because mm -hmm. um, sometimes they're shy and they don't know what to ask as well sometimes or you know um how to go about it so you know thank you for for sharing your process so that at least i can i can um share this with 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 a lot of other people as well mm -hmm. that's very yeah. helpful. 
that's very helpful. Yeah, and, and just the, the initial video that I send also gives them a bit of an idea of who I am, you know, so they already get a little familiar with me and, and because it's also about building a little bit of trust. Mm. And, and yeah, because yeah, that, that creates some openness and it also helps them to kind of figure out well, what may be going on and what to focus on and questions to ask. And then I'm very good at asking questions too. Um, so I'm, I'm like a dog with a bone. <laughs> if I need more information, I go for it. And I don't let until I, I hear what I want to hear. But obviously with phone consults, there is there are definitely limitations. And you know my number one priority is to keep the animals safe. So, um, you know, in, in the United States, uh, you know, there's very few, if any, states where you're actually allowed to diagnose or uh, prescribe anything, uh, which I think, you know, sometimes it's a bit of, you know, difficult that we have that law, but on the other hand, it also keeps the animals safe because we don't really, we can miss things, you know, if we don't see the animal, um, because when we see them, we can put our hands on, I get a different feeling for them. So my priority is always to not miss things as well. You know, with COVID and everything, you know, um, health and the immune system is so much more, I think, important now, even more so, mm-hmm. um, you know, if someone was going to talk about longevity for their pets at this point in time, you know, how, what, what, what would you um, like to share or advise people on that? Well, there are two approaches to, or two philosophies. One philosophy is we have pathogens that make us sick. We have to kill them. And then there's the other approach or philosophy that says, if we nurture the terrain and make sure that the terrain is healthy, then pathogens can't really do a whole lot and we can just live with them in a community. So I tend to subscribe a little bit more to that one um, of a community of supporting you know, the biome, of supporting the body, and, and making it as healthy as possible so that then pathogens, you know, who are present everywhere really, can't really affect the body so much. Um, so that's a bit more of my approach um, to longevity. So I, I will work on, on diet because if the diet is good, then we can build a good and healthy body because it gets the building blocks that it needs. So. You know, if we compare it to a house, if I have a house that I build out of cardboard, first time it rains, it just will kind of <laughs> shrivel up into a puddle. Whereas if I have good building blocks for the house, I can really make a, a strong and sturdy house. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm doing that with diet uh, for my animal patients so that all the cells have all the nutrients that they need in order to function properly and do what they're supposed to do. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, and then the other thing is that I, I work with the GI tract, um, pre- keeping them that healthy uh, because the GI tract contains 70 to 80% of the immune system. So a strong immune, uh, immune system in the gut 
will already limit a lot of the diseases that are possible. And the GI tract contains so many microbes that are helping the body. Um, you know, the, the microbe, the number of microbes in, this, in the body, around, in and around the body really outnumber the cells, the number of cells by a factor of, of 10. And then on a genetic level, these microbes outnumber the cells by a factor of 150. Wow. So I always ask my wow. clients, who's running the show here? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. the microbes. And so, you know, what we see here is really just the suit that houses all the microbes. So we're just a, a heap of microbe dressed up in a suit. Mm. And I stole that from somebody, uh, Raphael Kelman. <laughs> I think he said that, um, but I, I really love it. So for me, it's all about also nourishing and nurturing these microbes and nurturing a diversity because uh, here in the United States, at least, we have such a decrease in diversity of microbes because of all the toxic chemicals that are being made around, you know, Roundup that contains the glyphosate. Glyphosate is an antibiotic, so it kills a lot of microbes. And we have all kinds of other herbicides and pesticides that kill things. Um, we have a lot of toxic um, you know, heavy metals. Um, and then we also have the whole issue with electromagnetic radiation that has is polluting the world. Um, they have done studies uh, around cell towers and they can find that there are less microbes around these cell towers. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of killing going on of, of microbes, a lot of destruction of microbes, a lot of decrease in diversity, and that will then affect overall health in general. And I think that's also why we see such a decline in, in health, you know, continuously. I mean, even in the last two years, it's been, I've seen an incredible uh, increase in, in, in disease and diseases that are much more difficult to turn around. For example, allergies. I used to have pretty good success with allergies, but these days it's just gotten so much more difficult to turn these animals around and, and give them relief just because we're so bombarded by, by everything and by things that are not natural and that are not supportive of, of the terrain, you know, of the, the base. Um, so um, anyway, so the GI tract is very important that way because anytime there's an imbalance in the GI tract uh, with the microbes, for one, they're not making all the nutrients that we need because they make a lot of neurotransmitters, they make vitamins, they make, uh, they help digest the food, they help to train the immune system to function properly and not over or under react. Um, you know, they do so many different things. Uh, they, they help the brain function better. And so if we have an imbalance there that causes, you know, disruption within the body, but it also causes a lot of inflammation in the GI tract and leaky gut as a result. So with leaky gut, you know, we have the cells that just aren't connecting properly. So there are like little holes between the cells where things can go in that are not properly digested and that triggers the immune system. And because these particles go into the blood and the, you know, and the blood floats are all around the entire body, there's, you know, cleanup needed all around the body. And anytime there's some cleanup needed, it, you know, the immune system comes running and says, alert, alert, I gotta, you know, I gotta clean it out. And the immune system, the way it cleans out things is by creating inflammation and inflammatory chemicals that then help the cleanup. But if this continuously happens, this continuous 
trying to clean up that actually then eventually destroys the body. So we, you know, the chronic inflammation that happens from, from gut issues and, and yeah, from, from this chronic, you know, inflammation in the gut creates destruction of the body and, um, and such. Because if we hit ourselves somewhere, you know, if like I hit my arm somewhere, I want inflammation there to heal, but once it's healed, the inflammation needs to go because the inflammation is a cleanup and we don't want to have constant cleanup happening. So it's, it's a chronicity um, that's a big issue. Um, so yeah, gut health is, is one of the crucial um, aspects of the, you know, of the body's health. So if, if the gut isn't working properly, uh, nothing else will work. And the, you know, the saying, no guts, no glory is very, um, yeah, it's the truth, you know? So those are just three of the, the pillars. And then also hormones and, you know, mobility overall, uh, nervous system and fitness and exercise are some of those. But I guess the most important part with longevity is that, you know, we have a bit of a system and we address all the parts kind of simultaneously. I mean, I will still start with doing the change of diet first and then doing GI health and then doing some detox. So there's a little bit of a plan that you have to have, you know, but you have to address all aspects of it because otherwise it doesn't work. Uh, what I see oftentimes is people just change the diet. So if a, if a dog is sensitive to chicken, for example, they just change the diet, but they never actually fix the gut. And then the dog just becomes, you know, um, sensitive to something else. So it, it doesn't really, um, yeah, it doesn't, it's not long lasting, basically. It's just, you know, you put a mandate on it and, and that's it. Um, so it's, it's important to really address, you know, all these different parts to work. Again, you know, if we were to look at a house, if I only build one wall, but leave all the other ones out I don't really have a house right yeah. so we have to have all the walls we have to have the roof we, we you know we have to have all aspects of the body you know we have to take that into consideration including mental emotional um, spiritual health you know all of these aspects yeah I I think for for like some pet owners that I've met um, when they talk to me like oh uh, my animal uh, is allergic to chicken and I say oh okay so what what are you feeding right now and they'll tell me it's a prescription diet <laughs> you know and the vet said it's you know and I'm like well um <laughs> you know I'll sort of say like it might not be the chicken that um your your dog is allergic to it could be actually something else that's in the food um that is triggering it um, so mm -hmm. I always try to tell them like, um, you might want to try and, uh, consider cleaning up the diet a bit, you know? Um, yeah, because a lot of times they tell me like, oh, my animal is allergic to chicken. It can't eat this. And they'll tell me like, they're on prescription diet, you know, the mm -hmm. vet said so, the vet said so. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, hmm, okay. Uh, a bit hard mm -hmm. to prove that one, but you know um and the current thing that you're doing right now <laughs> but yeah 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 well I mean you have to sort of educate people and just ask very simple questions you know would you eat that mm. you know if you read the label would you eat that 
right? True. Or would you live on on Cheerios or whatever cereal on the same kind, same flavor your entire life? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, yeah. I mean it makes no sense. And and that's where you know the veterinary community in the conventional conventional aspect of it anyways are kind of not well trained when it comes to diet and and you know as some other vets have mentioned already um, it's we're the only profession that recommends feeding the same thing over and over again and the highly processed food i mean in the human world nobody tells you to eat cheerios in your entire life i mean right. If a doctor were to say that, you'd just say, oh, you just, yeah, goodbye, <laughs> see you later. <laughs> I don't think you know what you're talking about. You know, we talk about fresh food for, for humans all the time and eating healthy, eating vegetables, eating fruits, you know, eating clean food. Well, the same applies for our animals because their physiology is not that much different, you know? Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned, you know, um, diet being one, but there's always the environment and the toxins you know, um, how would you normally like, um, you know, like ask your clients like what to look out for, you know, um, when it's when it's got to do with cleaning up the environment? I mean, how would you? Well, I mean, there are, there are challenges, obviously, with cleaning up the environment because there are certain things that we can control and then certain things we can't control. So if your neighbor is spraying things, it's hard to control that. Um, or, you know, if the government is doing whatever they're doing. But there are a lot of things that we can control. Um, we can control what we put into the animal's body, you know, making sure that it's the least toxic possible. Obviously, it's impossible in this day and age to avoid all toxins because it's just in the environment and in the food chain. But there are certainly ways that we can improve that. So, for example, most kibble, most dry food is high in glyphosate just because of how the ingredients are harvested. Um, whereas if you're feeding a raw, unprocessed diet, it's very unlikely or there's a much, you know, there's much less glyphosate, you know, in, in that diet. So the animals will get less of that. And um, so, you know, through diet, you can make a big difference that way. Um, water is important too, to make sure it's, fil it's filtered because most water is contaminated these days um, because the cleanup of the water when it's being recycled in these um, plants, they don't take out everything and they're also not testing for everything um, so they they don't check for all the different contaminants that could potentially be in there because that could be the prozac that you know somebody is taking the hormones that somebody's taking you know the blood pressure medication that gets you know excreted through you know bodily matter uh, so all of that ends up in the water as well and then you know when it rains i mean the water that comes through rain, at least in the US, a lot of that also has glyphosate in it. Um, so there are a lot of chemicals in, in the water that we need to filter out. So having a good, fil good filtration system is good. Uh, reverse osmosis, for example, takes out most of it. And there are a lot of um, you know, units that also remineralize the water because reverse osmosis basically takes it all out. Uh, so it depends a little bit on in your on your area. Uh, here in the United States, we can plug it into the Environmental Working Group, 
Um, they have a link somewhere on their page where you can put in your zip code and then it will show what kinds of chemicals are in the water and then also what kind of filter to use to take those out. Oh, wow. Uh, so it's quite, it's quite incredible, um, you know, the database that they have for that. Um, so water is certainly important and that goes for city water uh, or, you know, community water and also for well water because well water can also be contaminated depending on what, you know, gets into the water table. Um, so, you know, food, water, and then whatever chemicals you use in and around the house to clean. Um, my approach is always to go with something natural that is biodegradable. And if, if something has chemical names on it that I don't know what they are, I don't even buy it. And sure, I could look it up to see if it's safe or not. But generally, if I don't know what it is, I just stay away from it. So you know, I, have a, I, have, I, have, I have a question <clears throat> because bleach is something that most families are used to, you know, like, mm -hmm. is there um, a, a, a cleaner way of the alternative to bleach or no? Or, you know, how would well, you use bleach if you had no choice? Well, uh, I mean, if you have to use bleach, then make sure that you have a lot of airflow going on because all that, you know, smell from the bleach is not exactly healthy. Um, but I use essential oils if I feel like I need to disinfect things a bit. Um, you can also use a bit white, you know, white wine vinegar or white vinegar. Um, you know, lemon, lemon juice is very, um, also kills things. Uh, so, you know, there are other, there definitely are alternatives. And for, I guess for me, the difference is too, I don't really necessarily feel the need to kill everything. You know, I'm, I'm not, to me, sterility is not a goal and it's not something I would like to achieve because it's not really that helpful. Because it's I, not natural, I, I, right? It's not natural. No, no, because we need diversity. So for me, I, I prefer to create a diversity in my microbes so that they can then do their thing. So I kind of like to delegate, <laughs> if you will. So, so, so um, because I do a lot of rescue work. So every once in a while, we might get cases of like, say for dogs, uh, Pavo or cats, you know, mm -hmm. um, Pavo distemper or, or Penluke, mm -hmm. you know. Um, mm -hmm. And I know most rescuers uh, would, take out the bleach or throw away, you know, like discard, mm -hmm. um, like they will just hack out the furniture and just throw everything out. Um, is, is there a, a, a more natural way of, say, dealing with something like Pavo, for instance? Um, what, well, what do you think? What do you think? Well, I mean, if you have an, a Pavo outbreak, obviously you have to do something about that because you know, otherwise you're spreading it around and, and that can be very difficult. Okay. Um, so it really depends on the, on the situation for sure. But how, how do I deal with it? With my puppies, for example, I, I work really hard at creating a very healthy gut. So they get an appropriate diet. I usually put them on fecal capsules uh, which is basically an oral fecal transplant, which helps to increase the diversity of microbes in their gut. 
because I don't, you know, oftentimes we don't know where, you know, what mom's microbiome looked like because that's how the, the puppies get the microbiome. So I help them with that, you know, help to replenish it. So I just ran, you know, just start them out with that. Um, I will give them some parvonosode, which is a homeopathic remedy that basically tells the body to be a bit on the lookout for it and to kind of be prepared. And then, I mean, it's not like a vaccine, but, you know, it still can give the body a little bit of information to kind of recognize it a little bit faster and then, you know, have the immune system kick in a bit more. Um, I also put them on colostrum which has a lot of immune function, which can also support the GI tract. Um, I put them on some enzymes so that they can actually digest their food. Oops, sorry. Are you still there? Yep. Oh, I don't know what happened here. Uh, something just showed up in, the, in my field and you disappeared. <laughs> sorry. Um, anyways, um, so yeah, colostrum and then the digestive enzymes, because especially puppies when they're young, the way they get food presented to them is in a pre-digested form because mom goes out and hunts and she, you know, swallows the food. It gets mixed with the stomach acid and other digestive juices, and then she regurgitates. So it's already sort of pre-digested. So I'm trying to mimic that with adding some pro some proteolytic enzymes, you know, like pancreas. I mean, you could just buy pancreas somewhere and just, you know, grind it into the food and other types of enzymes. Um, so I will do that. Um, what else? Um, I like to also add a bit of extra vitamin C to their diet, especially when they're exposed to other dogs. So I tend to also let, you know, have people increase the, the defenses, um, you know, before or after they've been exposed to other animals or after they've been to the vet or some other place because, um, you know, veterinary offices, pet stores, dog parks, et cetera, are kind of the places where they definitely get the most exposure. Um, so I make sure that, you know, they, they kind of amp up the immune support windows a little bit as well. Because it's important to socialize them you know, so we certainly have to do that. But um, yeah, those are some of the things that I do just to support the GI tract, because that's where, again, where most of the immune system is. And that's where they're more susceptible when they're, when they're little. Mm. So, you know, you were talking about um, what the no so so it's, it's kind of, it's not a vaccine, vaccination kind of thing, but it, you know, like is to build up their immune system. So like with most people who are used to conventional vets, um, they are told that they have to vaccinate all the time, like every year, you know. Mm -hmm. um, would you, you know, do you have a, a protocol that you, that you do uh, in your practice that you sort of advise people like how to approach the to vaccinate or not, especially now with COVID, because everyone's obsessed with vaccination now, you know, uh, humans, especially, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, how, you know, if a pet parents would say to you, like, you know, Dr. Odette, like, you know, um, I was told I need to vaccinate my dog <clears throat> every year, especially my puppies, you know, they get so many shots. Um, is, is that okay? Well, um, 
It depends. So the way I approach vaccines is I give in, if I, I inform people, I give them all the information and then I have them decide. Uh, so I actually give them the information, like, for example, here in the United States, very often breeders will already have given a distemper and parvo vaccine to a dog at six weeks. At six weeks, that vaccine is going to do nothing, mm. pretty much, because the immune system of the animal cannot respond to that yet, because it's just not mature enough. The only... And at that time, they also have relatively high levels of maternal antibodies to these two diseases that were, you know, given to the puppy through the, you know, colostrum, the first milk. So all I'm doing with a vaccine is I'm basically using up that maternal antibody because, you know, you give the vaccine, then the maternal antibodies are going to respond to that. So in the sense, you're kind of weakening the immune system of a puppy if you do that. Um, so I give them the information, you know, based on science and, and what we've seen and what we've, you know, examined and, and researched, and then I, I let them decide what they want to do. And I have all sorts of different people. Some people are very pro, well, I have to admit that a lot of people who come to me, they're not very pro-vaccine, but I have some that feel safer with having a little bit of vaccines on board and others feel safer not having them on board. So in the end, I think the important thing is that people are educated and they know what they're dealing with, what the pros and cons are of both because not vaccinating has you know, pros and cons and vaccinating has pros and cons as well. So in the end, people have to kind of determine on which risk are they more willing or more able to live with and sleep at night um, than the other? And that's, that looks very different for different people. Um, but yeah, most people who come to me, they're usually, they, they're more worried about vaccines than not vaccinating. But again, I, I just leave them a choice. I give them the information so that they can make the choice. But, you know, once they've had puppy vaccines, you know, for distemper and parvo, they're usually good for life. They're usually immune for life. So I recommend doing titer testing at least once. And then if they have a good response, um, you know, if they mounted a good response to the initial vaccines, then usually they're good for life. So I don't even recheck and I don't revaccinate because once they've had a response to a vaccine or, if, if it's more natural immunity, just by having been exposed um, to it over time. Um, if they have some antibodies that show up, that means they have memory cells. And these memory cells, they can, on a dime, they can just switch on and make more antibodies when needed. So with the puppy vaccines, because uh, distemper and parvo vaccines are pretty potent vaccines, in that regard, they create good immunity. Um, they do, don't usually need it again. Other vaccines such as Bordetella, uh, Lepto, um, Lyme disease, Lyme vaccine, um, those types of vaccines, they don't really mount a very good immune response just because they're a different kind of vaccine. Um, so I don't usually recommend them because the, the diseases themselves uh, can be treated. Um, lepto, if it's caught early enough, they can recover. Um, easily, so they're not deadly vaccines. So I definitely stay away from those that would, you know, cause more deadly diseases. 
And then rabies is a, a different subject just because, you know, it's required by law. So, you know, we have that aspect that um, comes in as well. Um, in the United States, we, in not all states, but in, in many states, we are allowed to write medical exemptions for animals that are sick. Um, so I do a lot of that because a lot of the animals I see are really not healthy enough to receive another vaccine. Um, so how would you support an animal? Like you said, those who come to you usually um, not, not very enthusiastic about you know, over-vaccination, for, for instance. Mm -hmm. But say, because by law, like you said, rabies has to be done. Um, mm -hmm. Is there a way to help the animal, um, you know, uh, deal with that, that extra um, vaccine chemicals in the body? You know, how, how would you mm -hmm. help support the animal to get over that hump? Um. I usually start them on some um, high dose vitamin C ahead of time. I, I use a liposomal form, which is much e more easily absorbed and you need less of it. Um, so I, I start them on that for about a week before. Um, and then I also, depending on the age, I also put them on a little bit of a detox protocol during that time, which I would always also start about a week before. And then I continue both the, um, uh, the detox and the vitamin C afterwards as well. And I will also send them home with a little bit of a homeopathic remedy for rabies. I use uh, lysine or lysinium. And um, that's a homeopathic remedy that's actually made from rabies uh, from the disease itself. Uh, so it's a no sode. And then uh, for some of the other vaccines, I will use Thuya, um, but I'm not a homeopath. So... <laughs> <laughs> you may have talked to some homeopaths about that because there are other homeopathic remedies um, that can be used. And generally um, in homeopathy, we, we prefer to use a remedy that really fits the symptom picture if symptoms show up. So um, that's just on a side note, but I, I still will use a little bit of homeopathic remedies. And then I also do a little treatment um, that helps them just tolerate the vaccine a little bit better. And it's based on an allergy therapy um, that is manual, where I stimulate the nerves that come out of the spine on, on you know, on both sides of the, the spine uh, between the thoracic and lumbar vertebrae. And so I massage those points that will then help to stimulate the immune system and, and the nervous system to then not overreact to the um, to the vaccine. And then I just cross my fingers. <laughs> and hope for the best. Um, and I, I always have people write down, you know, keep a diary just to make sure. I, I also tell them what the potential symptoms could be, like for rabies vaccine, uh, you know, most of the symptoms will be more um, of a behavioral nature because rabies, the disease itself, um, tends to affect behavior the most. Um, you know, rabid animals, they go a little crazy, they become aggressive, they they just don't behave normally. Um, so with, with our animals, those are the signs that I will also have people watch for. Um, I've had some dogs that, that started barking at cars more afterwards. And those are small little things, but you know, anything that's abnormal, you know, I, I have them write it down. Um, dogs can also become hypersexual where they start humping everything. 
they may start eating inanimate objects. Uh, they can become aggressive. They can become fearful. So I definitely recommend that they keep them away from uh, kids for a few days, just until they see how an animal has responded, just to make sure nothing happens. Because unfortunately, there are some fortunately rare cases where the animals um, just completely lose their minds after a rabies vaccine. Unfortunately, I, I've had one of those that started attacking his owners and had to be euthanized because um, it just became too dangerous and uh, torture for everybody. Um, so just paying good attention afterwards, you know, and not just for two days because vaccine uh, reactions can occur later, you know, so oftentimes I will see animals come in for, uh, you know, they started having allergies and, you know, I look at their history and, you know, one to two, one to three months before that, they just had like a, a slew of vaccines. And I'm like, yeah, well, their immune system just got hijacked. Hmm. Yeah, in Singapore, well, we're kind of blessed in the sense that we don't have rabies in Singapore. So we we don't have to vaccinate our dogs uh, for rabies. Um, the only good. thing I would say is, um, you know, well, pre-COVID, uh, people used to travel and, you know, relocate because of work or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So um, that's when actually the animals leaving the country um, they will have to take a rabies shot certification. Um, somehow it's like the international thing yeah. if you go into, into another, an, another country. So it's like, you know, for those uh, pet parents uh, have no choice because they mm -hmm. have to comply with that. So, you know, sometimes yeah. they, they're like, well, how can we support our animals, our dogs mm -hmm. or cats who have the rabies shot prior to you know flying off mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. so these are things that you know um they, they will consider you were talking yeah. about detox now you know fasting is like one of the well i won't say it's new but a buzzword nowadays intermittent fasting you know um mm -hmm. for both humans and animals um you know i have some pet parents who who are very shocked when i say like oh my dog eats one meal a day you know, and mm -hmm. I'll tell them like, and you know, um, every few weeks or so, I will actually faster, you know, for, you know, just 24 hours kind of thing, you know, um, and they're, they're horrified because they're like, you know, my dog needs to eat, you know, mm -hmm. and or they'll panic and they'll tell me like, my dog doesn't want to have breakfast. I'm like, well, mm -hmm. well, I don't eat breakfast either, but you know, it's too early for me. You know, um, how how would you you know um, you know explain this to new pet parents who are not used to the concept of uh, number one a buffet service twenty four seven, for instance, mm -hmm. or feeding three four meals a day some with with some dogs. You know, like they think that they have to eat like humans, so they have breakfast, mm -hmm. lunch, second lunch, or you know, um, tea mm -hmm. time and dinner and supper. How, how, how would you explain that to them? Well, I always refer back to nature because, you know, our physiology, you know, human and animal has really not changed that much. You know, even though people say, oh, no, we've been feeding kibble for 100 years now or however many years it is. And therefore, the body has adjusted to it. Well, that's, that's not the case. 
so the physiology still works best with, you know, when we follow the rhythms that nature kind of made us for, basically. And so for dogs and, and cats, you know, they have their rhythms. So they sleep, they, you know, get hungry, they go chase something, they find something or not. And then they eat that, or if they don't find anything, they don't eat. And then they go sleep it off. And then when they're hungry again, they start all over again. So I think, you know, mimicking nature is the best way to keep a body healthy. So if we feed them what they eat in nature, it will keep them healthier. And if we feed it in the rhythm that they would eat in nature, it also keeps them healthier. Because a dog's um, and, and a cat's physiology is not made to be snacking constantly. I mean, cats will eat a little bit more frequently than dogs in nature because they have to find more mice. So there's probably a little bit more frequent meals. But generally, they also get a break uh, where they can digest things. And then they, you know, the body, you know, can, can do its thing and then they go back out. But if we constantly add more, it, it really disturbs um, the whole uh, process. And certainly there are dogs, uh, you know, that need to eat a little bit more frequently just because they have issues and, and, and such. But, you know, if we were trying to mimic it for like a more health, for a healthier dog, um, that would certainly be a good way to look. Because, for example, with, with dogs and cats, they only make stomach acid when there's food coming. Whereas, for example, a horse makes stomach acid 24-7 and horses eat 24-7. So their physiology is made to eat 24-7. If they don't, they get stomach ulcers. So we have to look at the physiology of the body and, and how, how things are working and how they would do it in nature. And if we can mimic that, that's, you know, that's really the best way to do it. And, and, and um, dogs and cats, they have a little bit of a bigger stomach compared to the rest of the GI tract. So they fill it up. So if we, and, and then it, the digestion is happening and then it keeps, and then it moves through the small intestine and, and out the other end. But if we continuously put more food into an already likely relatively full stomach, that is in the process of moving things along, it kind of delays that because you, you're putting undigested food into something that's already being digested and is supposed to keep moving. So it really kind of disturbs the whole digestive um, process by continuously snacking. So they're definitely not made to snack uh, constantly. And again, there are exceptions, obviously, you know, to every rule, but um, generally in nature, that's not how they do it. So now that we're going through, you know, the digestion and all that, you know, let's talk about poop because I love this subject. I like, I like talking about poop. So what goes in must come out. Um, mm -hmm. You know, um, how would you describe a good poop? A good poop is... It doesn't smell much. It's firm. It's small. Um, it breaks apart and disappears easily when it rains. Um, yeah. And That's you know, how I would I've, describe I've, it. I've had some pet parents who tell me, like, you know, uh, my my dog's poop 
the color is different. You know, sometimes it's brown, sometimes it's like yellow, uh, sometimes it's a darker shade of, you know, chocolate, you know, and they'll say like, why, why is that? Well, I mean, it always depends on what they're eating, you know. So, for example, if they eat some beets the, or, or greens, it will change the color of the food. Uh, some of it is also, you know, from the bile that goes in it. Um, yeah, I, you know, color usually, unless it's blood, I don't really care too much about the color. Okay. Um, because, for example, if they have a little bit more bone, parts in the diet then their poop will be a little bit more yellow and whitish you know and powdery um so yeah i don't really focus too much about uh, on the color so would you say it's it's more important on the smell and the firmness yeah firmness smell um and size as well if if they make a human humongous poop then that's an issue as well because that means that they're not really digesting things well enough or they're not really um, they're getting a lot of things in their food that they shouldn't really um, be eating that are basically just fillers that they can't digest um, okay so well, you know a good food sh should be processed maximally and very little should come out well you know Dr. Odette, I just want to thank you today for spending the time. And even though we've had, you know, this uh, time zone kind of thing going on in the internet world, <laughs> it's so confusing. Um, I just want to thank you for, for actually, you know, making the time for me um, and going through very quickly on, on the, you know, the different aspects of longevity for an animal, you know, from head to toe, coming all the way out to poop in the end. Uh, for our animals to look yeah, you had for. to bring it there. <laughs> I love a good ending, you know. I like a good poop. I like a good poop. That's just me, you know. Um, so I just wanna, I just wanna thank you for your time, and I hope that we can, you know, uh, do this more often again, because uh, I actually have, you know, more questions for you actually. Um, mm -hmm. But it's getting a bit late on my end and your, your end as well, you know, so I just want to thank you for all that you do for me. Well, well, right back at you. And, and it's always such a pleasure talking to you because you always ask really good questions. You know, you're very, you're a very interesting person and I, I love that. And, you know, just on that note, you know, I, I listened to your um, interview with Chelsea Kent the other day. And I listened to it twice because there was so much good information in it. I'm like scribbling away like, oh, yeah, I need to know that. And I, I, I didn't even know that. So it's like, you know, you just make it really interesting and you ask good questions and important questions. And you have such a, a beautiful heart and so much to give and, and such oh. passion. And well, oh, it just means yeah. so much that you're out there and doing your thing and, you know, Thank you. Oh, thank and you. In any way I can support you, I'm, I'm always, you know, oh. happy to do so. Well, you know, today's today's um, today's podcast was, you know, like I said, it was like I wasn't even sure whether it was going to come on or not because of the time zone shift. But I'm just really grateful that you know you you could make the time. And again, I'm actually very touched that you actually listened to to my podcast. Um, and twice with Chelsea Kent because um, that's the first time I've heard anyone say that to me. Because I'm terrible at social media, so I 
I never do a follow-up. Um, that's just me because I just interview and then I just put it out there, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, it, it means a lot coming from you as well because it's people mm-hmm. like you that inspire me to want to talk and reach out to people like you more. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Really yeah. Well, I just know that with you, the interviews are going to be good. And I wish I had more time because I would listen to all of them. Oh, but unfortunately, I, I run out of time a little bit, but I, I listened to the one with Karen Becker as well, and it was exceptional as well. Oh, you know, thank so. you. That's, that's yeah. really kind. So, really yeah, yeah, your interviews are really good, and uh, <laughs> definitely people need, need, people need to listen to them. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Well, I still think I'm a newbie, uh, you know, uh, but I do try my best. Um, like I said, you know, I actually have more questions for you. So I hope we can follow up again um, so I can ask you yeah. uh, more things. Because, yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's some things that you, you, you said today that make me think a little bit more. And, um, you know, I think that's for, for, for another, another episode probably when we have more time to deep dive. But uh, whatever you shared today, I want to thank you because I think this kind of information is useful for especially very new, you know, pet parents out there who are not, I would call them pet parents 2.0 or, you know, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're not really familiar with the holistic side of things yet. And they're just mm-hmm. so used to the conventional medicine approach. So whatever you shared today, though, probably with 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 um, with the listeners who are used to listening to my stuff, they're probably like, "Oh my god, this might be like really basic stuff." But actually, this is um what I'm doing, especially today with you, is really for the the new young pet parents who haven't crossed over to out the dark side or the woo woo side, as I call it, you know, and <laughs> my and, side. Yeah, you know, really, you know, mm-hmm. and I just and I just feel very blessed because I think you're an awesome vet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I can um, support you and share what you know with other people, um, that helps so much. So I really want to thank you mm-hmm. for, for your time and patience. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. And, you know, it's about picking people up where they are, you know, and there are a lot of new people kind of, you know, getting more into the natural holistic field and um, they deserve a good, you know, they deserve the help and, and, and they need the help. So I'm more than happy to provide that. Of course, anytime. Wow. I'm so thankful and grateful that you took the time to listen to this podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could subscribe, download, rate, review, and share this with others whom you care about that may enjoy it as well. Thank you and remember to be kind to yourself and others. Have a awesome day, everyone.